The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Welcome to the Grove Church today, everybody. I am glad you're here, and I want to start in prayer, and then we're going to jump in to our brand new series called Hide and Seek. Father, today, God, we bring before you, God, first of all, I think those baptisms, Lord, just that you would continue to work in the hearts of every single individual that was baptized last week, God. It is so fun, God, to celebrate families and brothers and sisters and best friends and, God, individuals at the stories of, of being drug addicts and, and feeling lonely, God, feeling left out, and God, inviting them into the family. But we pray you'd continue to surround them. Help us each, God, to be part of their support network, God, encouraging them as the body of Christ. Father, thank you for all that you're doing. We also pray for Grove Snohomish today, that you would surround all that's going on there, God. We celebrate, Lord, the ability to continue to reach people through all that's happening over there. And Lord, for Remedy, you this morning, for our students who are now back to meeting on Sunday mornings at 11, thank you for a great environment even this morning. Thank you for every person involved in making that happen. But we pray for our students, God, to learn step-by-step step what it means, God, to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, growing up, I have a lot of memories of playing outside, inside with my friends, whether it was board games like Monopoly that would last forever and cause a lot of fights, or it was video games, um, or like outside group games like basketball or Simon Says, or we would play between the street poles, streetlight poles uh, on the streets, uh, like uh, two-hand touch football. Just some great memories of growing up riding bikes and stuff. But some of the funnest memories that I have are memories of playing hide and seek. Anybody else with me? I have great memories playing hide and seek. Um, it all starts with the pre-game game, which is figuring out who gets to be it. And some of you cruel people did it this way, not it. And it was the last person who said it that would be it. And you're like, ha ha, you're it. But many of us who were way more creative, now some that were somewhat creative but knew how to manipulate the game, did it this way. Everybody put a foot in or put two feet in and you would play the Cub Scout your out game. But why I say you're cool is because you knew if you started at the right place, who would be out, okay? So that's your game. Now, others of us played the engine, engine, number nine on the new, and you do all that thing, and you know, you are not it. But even that one, if you knew the math right, you could be, you know, figure out who's gonna be out, or you don't have to move your hand at every end of a phrase or syllable. You could do it whenever you sort of want to. So you can kind of pick whoever's out. And some of you are just learning this going, I never knew that. Anyway, so congratulations. And then of course, there's maybe, I don't know, maybe the most famous one, but it would be, Bubblegum, bubblegum. See there again, look at bubblegum, bubblegum, or bubblegum, bubblegum. See what I mean? In a dish, how many pieces do you wish? That person gives a number, one, two, three, and you are not. And finally, you figure out who's it. And what that person is, is the person who has to find all of the people that are gonna go and hide, and that's the game. Now, the basic premise of hide and seek is what? That's not high. Yes, exactly. To not be found. The whole idea is to not be found. We're hoping we'll never be found. And some of us have played games that were like 30 minutes, 45, an hour like, where are they? You know, you're going crazy. Um, and, and you, you know, they, they, they go, the person that's it, like goes by you and they get close and you're like, you like can't, you, you want to snicker, you want to laugh, you want to say something, but you don't want to be found out. And others of us in the room, man, we pride ourselves on incredible hiding spots. Like you ever have the spot where you knew you could hide, nobody would find you, but if they were ever going to find you, that spot would forever be found out. So you hide and then after time goes on, you move from that spot so you could keep that spot. Come on, that's genius. Some of you guys are learning things about hide and seek. You're like, I want to play now. So anyway, but Here's a little secret. As a family, this last Christmas, 
In our house, we played hide and seek with all the adults and all the kids. And it was so fun. We turned off all the lights and we go and hide until the rule was you couldn't turn on any of the lights. And we had an absolute blast, even as adults. One time, uh, quite a few years ago, a friend of mine was a newlywed. They were renting an apartment in Everett, but it was actually in connection to a friend they knew. And it was a three-story, a whole three-story building in Everett where there was one apartment and a bunch of storage units. And he had the keys to the whole building. And so we're like, dude, hide and seek in a whole building. And we did it and it was a blast. It was so, so fun. Now, I've actually joked with our staff about like, what if we did like an adult hide and seek in our church sometimes? So anyway, we might do that and we'll invite you to be a part and you can come enjoy the game with us. The game is a ton of fun. And as you know, it can go on as long as you want it to. Like, okay, you're not, you're it now and now you're it and stuff. Um, but, but do you know where hide and seek came from? The history of hide and seek goes way, 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 way back all the way to Genesis chapter three. So, and some of you guys might know where I'm going with this, but um, in Genesis three, we have the story of, of the first humans here, Adam and, and Eve. And the story is that God had said, hey, he had this unique relationship. And God had said, hey, you go and enjoy, you know, all this stuff and there are all kinds of fruit and all this thing. But he said, this one area, this one tree, I'm asking you to stay away from it. Don't eat fruit from it, whatever. Your eyes will be open, all this stuff. And, and so they know that. Well, Genesis three, if you have subtitles in your Bible of chapters, Genesis three probably says the fall of man. And what happened was this, this kind of strange phenomenon where the serpent, the serpent deceives Eve and Adam and they end up eating the fruit they were told not to eat and they're enticed by it and, and all this stuff. And I'm not gonna get into that. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I kind of talked about that, but I want you to notice in, in chapter three, where it says that they, they ate of it and all of a sudden something changes, something's different. And there it says their eyes were open and that's not like physically, that's like something deeper is going on. They can see differently. And it says, first of all, that they were noticed that they were both naked and there was a certain shame there where they're like, quick, get some bushes and like cover up, you know? And so they do that. And then notice in verse eight, it says this, then the man and his wife heard the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And notice what it says. You see it up there? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what are the next three words? Everybody say, and they hid. And that's the beginning. And maybe this isn't the, the history of hide and seek, but this is the beginning of this whole epidemic that on one hand we play as a game, but if you get down to sort of the spiritual and social realities of hide and seek, what we tend to do because of what we call the fall or original sin is we have the shame that overwhelms us. We know we've done something that we should not have done. And what happens is because of the fall, because of sin, we want to hide. Something changed when sin entered the world. And if we all can wrap our heads around it, even just for a few moments, when we realize that something has gone off kilter in our lives, that there becomes this shame that forces us into the shadows. It says, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And part of what happens here as their eyes were open and as sin has become an epidemic for the entire population of the globe sense, this issue causes in us a shame which breeds in us an insecurity, which breeds in us a fear that causes our relationships to not function the way that God originally wanted our relationships to be all because the fall we want to hide. We don't like the word 
vulnerable. We don't like the idea of individuals and even the Lord somehow being aware or confronting us in our weakness. We hate the word vulnerable because we hate revealing weakness or even the appearance of weakness. Anybody out there on Instagram? Ask some of us are on Instagram. How about Facebook? Okay, probably a lot more people on Facebook. A lot of people on Instagram. I notice especially on Instagram because it's driven by images and not just text that, 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 that Instagram is really a study in the highlight reel of people's lives. People take pictures of being out on fun outings in places where there's a space needle in the background or a cool mountain scene or, or they're on vacation and look, there's the Eiffel Tower or, or you know some exotic place they've traveled and there's great pictures and you make sure you have have the right outfit on that's trendy, whatever that might mean, and and everything's just right for all of these pictures that you and I scroll through and we go, wow, look at that life. What an incredible thing to live that kind of life. And over and over, there's all these great pictures. There's even pictures of food where you look at that and go, wow, I got to get a picture of this incredible meal on this incredible plate with this really cool drizzle along the left side. I got to capture that before I consume it. And here we are, and we're at our home, and we're scrolling through Instagram, Facebook, and looking at these highlight reels, and wow, look at that incredible meal, while we're stirring our macaroni and cheese we're having for dinner. Right? I mean, that, let's just be honest. I've actually thought of, just the last few days, I thought, you know what we need to do? I need to create an account that's like Nick's real life. And I get like pictures of me like, hey, look, me taking out the trash. Like, here I go. Hey, look, me scrubbing the toilet and mowing the lawn, because that's real life. And yet there's something about this need deep inside of all of us to somehow mask what real life is so that people think we have something so incredible and we don't have to live real life every day with the responsibilities and stresses and frustrations that all come along with it. We hide. That's called hiding. I think of the pressure that our young people feel to perform, and sometimes it's driven by parents that constantly are talking about goals, and goals are not a a bad thing, but I feel bad for some kids who who anytime they fall short, anytime that they don't measure up, anytime they get the letter that says they didn't get to the college that somehow they were hoping to get to or somehow they didn't get the scholarship they needed or their, their resume for scholarships wasn't good enough for them to receive certain grants or whatever that might be. There's a sense of, of rejection and it causes our young people to shrivel up in fear and want to hide because somehow they're not as good as they're supposed to be. They're hiding. Most psychologists would say that bullies are hiding their own pain by overcompensating with brute force. That's nothing new. Most of us are aware of that phenomenon. We hide that we're poor by buying stuff that we can't afford. We hide that we're afraid or we're hurt or we're lonely by trying to be the life of the party or we hide by, by taking a drink of a certain substance that make us feel a certain way and get a buzz or, or, or we you know, take a hit of something or, or we get on a relational adventure that we know isn't good in the long term, but at least it feels good for now. My confession for you is this. I told someone the other day, I said, you know, something weird is going on with me because I noticed that when I see people that are amazingly gifted at whatever it is that they're like kind of sort of called and wired to do, it brings me to tears. It moves me. 
Like, I don't know if you ever watch like America's Got Talent, but when you see people that are so good at certain things, man, I'll be brought to tears. I'll be watching something with my family and I'm like trying to like do the yawn thing, look the other way so they don't see that my face is like, ooh, you know, there's tears coming down my face or I get up and go get some water, you know, as an excuse so people don't see what's going on. But when I see people that are so gifted at whatever it is that they're like called and wired to do, honestly, man, it brings me to tears. And, and it's not just like America's Got Talent. I mean, the, um, Dancing with the Stars, I, I, I marvel that people can dance so amazingly because I can't. I marvel even like home shows where you get like people that, that they fix it up and make it look all amazing and they show the pictures. And I'm like, oh my word, they're so good at that. <laughs> On, and some of you guys are like, this is way too vulnerable. There are great churches all over you guys. So, I mean, really, <laughs> I'm just being honest. And it's not, it's not just even that kind of stuff. There's like all kinds of, I, I can watch like Shark Tank and see somebody that gets up there and, good morning, sharks, you know, my name's so-and-so and I've got this going on and here's a product. And they get into it and you see what they're doing. Honestly, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe nobody's thought of that thing before. I, I don't know what that, and now I, I feel a ton better. So thank you. I, can, I confessed. But here's what happens with this whole picture of when things are off kilter. When, when we fall into a place where we're embarrassed of a habit, where, where we're found out about something, we tend to want to hide. And part of that is it's just a coping mechanism. It's just an ability to, 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 to hide and put a wall up so people don't really navigate who you really are or so you're not forced to confront what's really going on in your heart. And shame isn't the answer. And hiding isn't the answer. If you look, it says, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the Lord uh, of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And you need to hear this. God is not showing up in this moment. First of all, going, where did they go? Because he obviously knows. And he's not saying it like this. Where are you? Like some of us when our parents would call our names when we did something wrong. Nick! Or even worse, Nikki! Don't call me that. There's only two people in the room right now allowed to call me that. And they're both sitting on the second and first row. Or the, uh, Nicholas, or the, and we all know the worst one, Nicholas Allen. Like, oh man, wooden spoon's probably out. I'm going to keep hiding. And for all of us, it's that way. It's like bring in the middle name. We're all busted. My wife says my middle name. Oh, we got problems. But, but it's this picture where, where God says, where are you Hear this, because he's well aware of what just happened. He calls them out, reminding them, you were created for a relationship with me, and I still want that. I still desire that. And every one of us in this room needs to hear wherever you come from today, whatever your background today, whatever you used to do or you've done or you're guilty of or you feel bad about, God would say to you today, I'm here and I want relationship with you. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how far you fall. I believe just like God did in this garden story, he says to you, where are you? And the point is, yes, the fall makes us want to hide in shame, but God's passion is to draw us out of isolation. God's passion is to draw us out of hiding that we don't live in shame. In fact, I believe we could replace the word shame with the word conviction. And you go, oh, what does that mean? What is the difference? And I would say it this way, shame brings condemnation, which I kind of picture this way. Condemnation with shame draws us away from the cross. 
you're not good enough. You really blew it this time. God's grace isn't enough this time. God's really mad this time. God is rejecting you finally because you deserve it. And we live in this shame that if we stay there, it breeds this condemnation in us that we don't measure up. That if you're here today and maybe you don't understand this whole message of kind of religion, what is this about? As followers of Christ, we believe that the whole big picture of the story of God is him in the midst of a fall, drawing mankind back to him because he wants all of us to belong to who he is. And he did that, yes, in the Old Testament as we look at it, by choosing the nation of Israel, and they were meant to be a conduit of God's nature and character to the world, and they misunderstood it. And they thought somehow they were chosen, so they were better. But that wasn't the intent. The intent was he could reveal his glory through Israel so that they could show the world how amazing the God of heaven and earth is over these other gods they said they bowed down to. And prophets were called out, and we have a whole segment of the scriptures that that you can read, and it can be really challenging to understand sometimes. But it was all about God calling mankind back to him. And then we get to the New Testament where Jesus shows up on the scene. And it's Jesus that finally did the work where we can find forgiveness, that he went to the cross and paid a price that you and I owed, a debt for the sin that we've been stuck in that Jesus paid for so that we could have that relationship because God wants all of us to belong. And so his passion is to draw us out of hiding. I love the the picture that Psalm 139 paints. And if you've never read it, I really encourage you to write that down real quick. And even take, if you take five minutes, 10 minutes today to read it, you can read through all of Psalm 139. Great Psalm. But verse seven, it starts with this. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, Lord, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there you guide me and your right hand holds me fast. Listen to verse 11. If I say, look at these words. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. The psalmist here is is knocking on the door of our propensity to want to hide from God. Even though theologically we we can't really hide, we still feel this want to sort of cover ourselves, and the psalmist says it. Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. The point that the psalmist is making here is that even though you and I want to hide, God is shining that beam of light right into our entire situation, right into all that we're facing, calling us out, drawing us out, reminding us, don't stay hidden. Don't, don't, don't buy into the lie of shame and, and condemnation. Don't do that. I want you to come out of the shadows. I want you to come out of hiding. Speaking of light over and over, If you're taking notes, you can write it down. But over and over, that's the picture God paints of you and I being in communion and fellowship and community with God is being in the light. John opens his gospel. The fourth book of the New Testament, John, by talking about Jesus. But but specifically, some of the words he uses is this idea that Jesus is light. The light pierces the darkness. And that's part of understanding what Jesus did for you and I so that we don't get stuck in the darkness forever. 
It says God is light. You know, at first John, it says God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. And so for you and I, if we really have this fellowship, this community with God, then we can't live in darkness. We can't remain in the shadows of shame and and all that stuff. It's why when we sing words like we sang a little bit ago, we need to be reminded that the work of God is meant to draw us out of hopelessness, meant to draw us out of death and, and, and addiction, all those things that try to beat us down. That the work of God draws us out of those things. John said it in his gospel as well as at the end, a couple of letters he wrote first, John in particular. But Peter says it also, another disciple. And Peter writes to the churches, and we have it as 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this reminder that some of you maybe have heard a long time ago, but you need to be reminded of, Peter is declaring who we are as followers of Christ, if you are one. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you, what? Out of darkness into his light. And we've got to understand over, again, I could go on and on for hours about this picture of light, but one of them that I want to share with you that, that I heard somebody talk about a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, that's it right there. For this message today, um, it's the story in John 4. I'm just going to take a second here. In John 4, the disciples, Jesus with the disciples, they decide to go grab some food. And Jesus is like, I'm going to hang here at this well, and, and you guys go on ahead. So Jesus is there. A Samaritan woman comes up, and they have a conversation. Now, it was not customary, unfortunately, back in that day for, for the nation of Israel to associate with Samaritans. And so it's odd that they even have a conversation. But this woman is perplexed, like, I can't believe this person's talking to me because visually it's obvious who, who that, you know, what, what nation that person belongs to. And so this conversation happens about, you know, getting, you know, living water from this well. And it's kind of this, this window that, or this door that, that Jesus uses to have a conversation. And, and at one point he reads her mail. He says, tell you what, we'll continue the conversation. Go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. The person you're with right now, he's not your husband. And she's like, who are you? She kind of freaks out. And, and it ends up being that, that, you know, well, wait a minute. You read my mail. Maybe you're a prophet. So let me talk a little more about what do you know about the future and about this Messiah? By the way, John 4 is one of those declarations where Jesus specifically declares he is the Messiah. Just a reminder. Um, but anyway, she ends up having this weird conversation that seems off kilter. But she says, you know, what about this worship thing? Because I'm a Samaritan and and you're from the Jews. And so what about this worship thing in Jerusalem or whatever? And Jesus um, begins to get into something that matters, I think, for all of us. He says, John 4, 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. And he might as well have been going like this. Like Messiah, salvation. Anyway, but um, he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You go, well, why do you bring that up? I mean, what does this have to do with it? Remember, God calls us out of the shadows. He wants us to live in the light. But part of understanding it is this. When, when that word is used, um, true worshipers in spirit and in truth are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Verse 24, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. What he's saying, and that word defined, is literally uh, this picture of being immersed in such a light that everything is revealed. 
And so when, when, when Jesus talks about this idea of truth, it would be helpful for you and I to understand what he's saying is when you and I live in truth, it means we're living in such a way that we're allowing God to illuminate the entirety of our lives so that he can deal with even the core issues we're so afraid of. And that's walking in the light, being honest with God about the whole of who we are. So the first thing I mentioned is this idea that, that we're, we, we get, you know, we, because of the fall, we want to hide, but God draws us out. And being drawn out of isolation in darkness leads to being connected to other people. And I want you to hear this because when we talk about hide and seek and we got this you know, kind of world champion type of thing, when we talk about that, the whole picture that we need to understand, and, and when we celebrate something like baptisms, that's fun to celebrate, but when we do that and, and, and people are taking that step, that's not the end. And I want us to all understand that we're on a journey of progressing to become more like Christ all the time. And, and if you remember, how did Jesus sum up the entirety of the Old Testament law? Anybody remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And I want you to hear that because we cannot stop at going, I was baptized and I'm, I'm good and me and God are good and we're good there. No, no, what God does is he continues all of us on this journey of going, okay, now I'm connected to the Lord, that's awesome, but I've got to be connected to other people. I've got to make sure that my life is connected, as, as Paul talks about, to the family of God. When we gather in an environment like this, you got to understand we're, we're family. We're the body of Christ together. We exist together, and there's no such thing as, as, as not being connected to the body of Christ. People say all the time, yeah, I'm, I'm a religious person, or you know, I believe in Jesus. I just don't do the church thing. That's theologically unsound. That's not okay, because what God does is, okay, great, I'm connected to the Lord. I believe in Jesus. I've invited him in, but the progression is now go get connected to other people. And there's no way around that. There, 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 that doesn't make any sense to say, love God, don't do the church thing. If you love God, automatically there's a connection to the church where you're called to build bridges. And that's where the vulnerability comes in. And we all begin to go, I'm good with God knowing everything because he already does but I'm not so good with other people knowing about my life and there's accountability and all those weird words about being vulnerable. I don't do that. And I really believe that the Holy Spirit would prod every one of us. Don't stop what I'm doing in your life by saying no to being connected to other people. Don't stop because you're called to take those steps. And we hear stories all the time where, where, in fact, life groups in particular, where people take a step and, and jump in and go check out a life group and they meet all over the county and they meet on all different nights of the week. A couple of them meet in the mornings and, and, and people gather and they have food and some of the food is incredible and you see some of the Instagram pictures like I'm talking about and go, what kind of good are an overachiever group? So anyway, I get a little jealous of that, but that's just a personal thing. You know, but, but you hear stories of people that go, I don't know about this group thing, but I tried it. And so many people go, man, was it worth it? There are plenty of people that go, you know what? I didn't really, it didn't gel with me kind of that first bunch of weeks or kind of that first season, you know, we kept going, but I, you know, I wasn't super comfortable. But then you continue to hear, but I kept going, but I continued on that journey. And man, it is so fun to see people that have great connections. We have life groups all over where, and I see it on Facebook. They don't even tell me. I'm like, oh my word, that life group's like on a cruise overachievers, right? 
I know, like, not every life group, okay? But anyway, um, if you're in a life group that goes on cruises, I would love to come visit and be a chaperone. So just let me know. But there's groups that go on, I've seen groups that go on vacation together. And they're like, hey, we went to Disneyland or we went to Hawaii. I'm like, man, you guys are awesome overachievers. But like our group, I remember last summer we had a great time. It was like, hey, let's do something fun together. And so we decided to go out to dinner and a, and a comedy show. So we went to Seattle and it was the first time I ever went to a Brazilian steakhouse. You ever been to one? Brazilian steak? I was like, man, first of all, I've never paid that much for food. So that was a little, you know, but anyway, but, but we went out and man, Brazilians keep bringing food. They're like, what's this mean? I don't know. Let's eat it. You know, like just kind of, they shave it off and put it on your plate and, and you just keep, they just keep bringing it. Until you learn that there's a little thing, a little card on your table that's green. If you flip it over, it's red. That means stop bringing food. And I was the first one to tap out. But you know what was awesome? By the end of the night, we all had meat sweats. We're like, whoa, this is amazing. I love this. Life groups are awesome. We go out to a comedy show and laugh our heads off over at Key Arena. It was a fun time. But again, people that didn't start out as, oh, we're all gelled and we get it and we're doing life together. But little by little, it grows into, man, I love having fun with people on this journey of Christ together. And yes, absolutely, we have a great time going to things like that. But you know what? We also have a great time talking about scripture together, navigating through tough seasons together, celebrating certain high points together, because that's what God intends and that's the progression for you and I to stop living hiding, but being sought out by God who draws us out and then connecting us to other people. That's what we're called to do. And so as I wrap it up today, it's simply the so what? Next week, we're going to continue talking about the dynamic of groups and some of the why behind the what and the picture of what we want groups to look like and stuff. But, but today, I simply want to challenge all of us with this. Let's choose together to stop hiding. Let's choose together to be willing to take this journey that God has us on. And if it means dropping our guard by building bridges with other people, I believe that that's what he wants to do in our lives. That we don't live making excuses for why it doesn't work or why it hasn't worked or why I hate it or why vulnerability isn't my thing. I get that we can all say that because those are coping mechanisms. But the truth is God wants us to be connected to one another. And there's something fun about not just showing up on a Sunday and leaving, but showing up on a Sunday and seeing people you're building bridges with. Groups that, that they begin to sit together with their friends that are in life groups together that they hang out in the lobby together, that after services and they go out to, to lunch together. And there's something amazing about how God designed us to live doing life together. Father, today, God, we pray for your spirit to do a work, God, in all of us, that Lord, that word vulnerable is not a fun word. It feels uncomfortable, but God, I pray we wouldn't skirt it because our propensity, God, our, our, our inner kind of, drive or, or default, I guess, is to hide. And it feels scary for people to know us. But God, I believe we're also robbing the work of the Spirit in our lives and cutting short that journey that you have us on. God, for some that feel the fear, because hiding has been a coping mechanism, God, would you just speak to them this morning? Would you just do a work in, in every heart God, yeah, there's a level of trust. Yeah, it creates a little bit of anxiety sometimes. But the payoff of saying yes to you, 
the payoff of opening our lives, Lord, obviously to you in full disclosure in the light, but also as we build bridges with others, God, the payoff really is incredible. To have that kind of support, that kind of encouragement, that kind of joy where you can laugh together and celebrate together and even pray, carry each other's burdens together. God, you want us to live together. Help us all, Lord, to surrender to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.